In other words, to repeat, <clears throat> if you meditate or you focus awareness on a Shem, a name of God, in other words, that Shem or name becomes the object of your focus or the object of your awareness during meditation, then what happens is that the Hashpo, which is represented by that Shem, is activated or invoked by the Rabbanu Shalom toward the direction that you wish it to go. This is an absolute mechanism, assuming <clears throat> that you have fulfilled or met the prerequisite conditions of meditation before you started meditation, and assuming you have met the conditions during meditation. And meditation includes two things, the meditative technique itself and the object of awareness, the Shem, the name of God that you meditate upon. If everything has been met precisely, then that hashpor must be activated. If it is not, then you didn't do the right job, or your conditions were lacking. Thus, the meditation upon the Shem is the procedure or the mechanism mentioned as the first element in the sequence for the, implement for the implementation of these various spiritual phenomena. That is the first element, the mechanism, which means the meditative device and the Shem and the invoked Hashpor by God is the result or the immediate effect of the mechanism mentioned as a second element of the sequence. We therefore now know the first two elements of the sequence. The first element or what is the mechanism or procedure and that is meditation and we know what meditation is. We've dealt with that extensively. And the in other words, the first element, which is the mechanism or procedure, is meditation, but meditation upon a Shem, a specific name of God that refers to a specific Hashpah. The second element is the immediate effect of the meditation on the Shem, which is the activation or the invocation of the Hashpah by the Rabbani Shalom himself to be used in the direction that you wish it to go. That is the immediate effect or the results. Now, what does the Hashpah do for you? That is what we will be talking about subsequently. Now, the meditation of the Shem, you should know, or the mechanism itself, the procedure, may be done through imagery, sight or sound. In other words, when you meditate on the Shem, the name of God, you can either imagine the Shem in the mind, to visualize it in the mind, and this, by the way, is the Ari's system of meditation. In other words, his shamas were called Yehudmo unifications. And his system primarily was the imaging or visualizing of divine names in the mind. That is one way of meditating. A second way of meditating is you can gaze upon the written Shem as it's written out on a piece of paper. This meditative uh, um, approach or meditative system was the system of meditation of Rav Sholom Sharabis who was an extremely great Mukubal. Uh, in other words, he preferred this as the object of awareness, the actual visual, visible name of God rather than meditating on an image, the name of God in image form. The third way of meditating on Hashem is to pronounce it, to utter it or to sound the Shem. And this meditative uh, procedure or device 
or approach was used by the earliest schools of the Mikubolam, the Kabbalists, the schools of what's called a Cholos. In any case, the three ways of meditating on a name, whether it be sight, sound, or image, if one meditates on a Shem, then the Ashpor represented by that Shem is invoked by the Rabbana Shlom. Now, what is important to remember is that the Hashpor by the Rabbana Shlom will only be produced, in other words, that the result of a Hashpor will only be yielded if the mechanism or the procedure is properly executed. In other words, all the procedural conditions must be met. And even then, the results that are yielded or realized will only be <coughs> within <coughs> exact, precise, and defined limits. You can't do what you want, even if you meditate on God's name. There are specific, defined limits, precise and exact boundaries in which the hashpah functions to allow you to do whatever you want to do. And obviously you have to be aware of that. But even within those boundaries, the phenomena is incredible. Now, if then the procedural conditions are not met, then the meditation upon the Shem will be totally inoperative and no effect will be realized or seen at all. So we do have, of course, certain requirements and conditions, which if they are not met, then the operation of the meditative device upon that Shem will yield absolutely nothing. <clears throat> so therefore, to summarize, what has been covered so far is the concept of hashpor or causative entities that God creates, and that is what causes. The second idea we saw is that there are two distinct hashpors. One is a hashpor that creates the presence of God as we see it itself. And the second hashpor is what creates all creation, whether it be spiritual or physical. And we also saw that every hashpor has a name attached to it, which represents that hashpor. And therefore, <clears throat> and we gave certain examples, the 72 letters na name, 72, 72 letter name of God, the name of Rachel, Elohim, and so on. And then we went into the idea of why does God want to use a different name for all the different hashpos? And we issued three reasons. One is to heighten awareness that He is responsible for every act. And secondly, <clears throat> that we can single out a specific hashpo and we can ask God to invoke it for us and to help us in that way. That device is prayer, but that is not absolute. That depends on our merits and so on. And the third device, which is part of the meditative Kabbalah, or this is really what Jewish meditation is, is to employ an absolute mechanism, assuming you've met prerequisite conditions and you've met procedural conditions, that the Rabbani Shalom will in invoke the Hashpah, he'll activate that causative entity. If you meditate, super-focused awareness on a specific name, he will activate that Hashpah which is represented by that shame in the direction that you choose. So we have achieved an understanding of the first two elements of the sequence. Number one, we now understand what the mechanism is for the attainment of spiritual phenomena, and that is meditation upon a shem. And now you know why I spend so much time on meditation. Meditation upon a shem, a name of God, is the mechanism 
uh, for Jewish meditation. And now we see why it's called Jewish meditations because yogas don't meditate on God, names of God. They meditate on their own deities, which of course is, you know, Avodizara. But in any case, uh, that is the mechanism of Jewish meditation. And the results of Jewish meditation is that the causative entity actually invokes the, the, uh, the act or fulfills what you want. The hashpah is directed toward you and you can use it in certain defined limits and areas. And of course, the, uh, in any case, that is what's called the results or the immediate effect of the mechanism and that is the hashpahs which are invoked by the Rabbani Shalom. And we also see, of course, that there are conditions which are attached and if you don't adhere to the conditions, then, of course, nothing will result. Um, we, we, what we are now going to go into is the next part of the sequence, which is the actual spiritual phenomena or the spiritual experiences which a person can attain via the mechanism as a result of the immediate effect, which is the Hashpur by the Shalom. What are the spiritual phenomena? And we had mentioned that was four and what I am now going to go into is what exactly are these spiritual phenomena what are the conditions what are the differences between the two or between all of them uh, this is what I'm going to go into next let us now <clears throat> after having examined the procedure or the mechanism which I had mentioned was the meditative device and also the Shem. This was the procedure, uh, which is the first element in the sequence of attaining certain very specific uh, spiritual phenomena. In any, in any case, after having examined the procedure, which is the meditative device and the Shem, and also the results, which is the Hashpur represented by that Shem, that name, divine name, being activated by the Rabbani Shlom, after, uh, uh, after mentioning these two elements, we are now going to begin looking at the spiritual phenomena or the spiritual experience itself. And what that is, of course, is that is the outcomes, the objectives or the consequences from the procedure itself. This is the third element of the sequence in terms of those um, elements which are required to achieve the spiritual phenomena. And this third element is the spiritual phenomena itself. That exact experience which a person realizes. Now, uh, in that, qu in that uh, quest to explain, I'm going to be explaining the following various areas in the spiritual phenomena itself. What I'm going to try to do is explain the spiritual phenomena called Ruach HaKodesh, Divine Inspiration. Then I'm going to explain the spiritual phenomena called Nevuah or Prophecy. I'm going to, after that, we will then examine these spiritual phenomena, both Ruach HaKodesh and Nevuah, in terms of conditions that have to be met or fulfilled in order to attain these spiritual states. And there are two kinds of conditions. One is prerequisite conditions, conditions that you have to meet before you begin the meditative process on the Shem. And also procedural conditions while you are meditating on the Shem, what things have to be met and fulfilled. In any case, I'm going to be going to, into that thirdly. 
After that, I'm going to be looking at the process which is employed by the individual wishing to attain these spiritual states. Exactly what happens or how does one go about it. Then, I will, we'll be looking at the spiritual worlds which are involved in these phenomena because we know that these are really transcendental phenomena. Exactly what is the connection between the, or the relationship between the spiritual entities and transcendental realms and the person attempting realization of these phenomena? What is the connection? And that's a very important idea. Then I will be looking at how these spiritual experiences or phenomena, how do they relate to us now in 1986, today? And is their attainment possible? Even today, is it possible to achieve any of these states in, in present time? And if so, how? What procedure is necessary in order to attain some of these spiritual states? And also, what level or kind of, a, a kind of spiritual experience can one expect to achieve realistically? In other words, I'm going to try to focus in on the uh, relationship between spiritual phenomena and today's times. What can we do about it today? Is it possible to experience any of these states? Uh, what level? And how does one go about it? And that's sort of, uh, um, that's something to work toward actually. But that, that is what I want to go on after. And this is the process, uh, these are the ideas or the areas that I'm going to cover when I'm talking about the uh, spiritual phenomenon itself. Now, the truth is that all of these topics which are being covered are really very extensive. They're very extensive in, their, in terms of their concepts, the components that make up the areas, the structure of the area, the process and the application of these areas. In this particular Hashkofa series, however, we can only offer a fundamental, comprehensive, and clear, understandable presentation or overview, which hopefully can provide us with an excellent preparatory level with which to further pursue these, these uh, crucial topics. <coughs> In other words, that the scope or the focus or the objective of these particular shiurim are really to try to present it in a certain fundamental, comprehensive way to give you an overview. And after that overview, then you can pursue many of these areas by yourself. Or certainly if you attend other shurim, you'll have a very good framework from which, to, from which to integrate other people's statements about these areas. And the topics which I have covered and will cover, which hopefully, you know, I will be presenting the overview, are such topics as the internal design of creation, which I have covered, the task of man, the concepts of self, mind, soul, the ideas of meditative device, the spiritual phenomena of divine inspiration, Ruch HaKodesh, the spiritual phenomena of prophecy, which is Navua, the ideas of magic, sorcery, and also prophetic dreams, then the ideas of yoga, and finally, the causal underpinnings of the historical progression as it relates to meditation, Kabbalah, and the entire messianic process itself. Because the truth is that the history of Kabbalah, which includes in it the history of meditation, which is the application of Kabbalah to practical affairs, 
That history is very much intertwined with the entire messianic process itself. And when I go through that history, we will be looking at a great deal of ideas that are related to the entire ideas of Mashiach. Because the ups and downs of Kabbalah is very, very uh, related to the ups and downs of Mashiach, as we will see. And the entire explosion of these ideas in today's times, as we will see, is really a hidden preparation for the Mashiach himself, which hopefully will come very, very shortly. Uh, in any case, the two are intertwined, as we will see when I, when I get into the history. We're now beginning to uh, examine the spiritual phenomena of Ruach HaKadosh. If a person meditates upon certain shemais or names of God, then a particular hashpah or causative entity is invoked by the Rabbi Shalom, in which various spiritual beings or entities bind themselves or attach themselves to the nefesh al or the self of a person on a specific spiritual world or dimension that the nefesh al resides in and that particular entity resides in also. In other words, if a person meditates, then what happens is, is that the hashpah of that particular shame which he meditates upon forces spiritual entities, supernal beings, to actually attach themselves to the self or the nefesh of an individual. In other words, we see that attachment of supernal beings to one's nefesh is the mechanism that yields the spiritual outcome called Ruach HaKodesh or Divine Inspiration. So this particular spiritual phenomenon is divided into two segments. One is the mechanism or why the spiritual phenomena works. And two, what is the spiritual phenomena? The mechanism of Ruach HaKodesh, which we will see in a minute what it is, what uh, divine inspiration or the Holy Spirit is, the mechanism of this is the attachment of uh, spiritual beings to the nefesh el of an individual. And that spiritual being attaches itself to the nefesh el in a specific world. And the world depends on where the uh, spiritual being resides in. But in any case, that attachment is in a specific world, and this attachment yields certain results. And the results of this, the consequences or the outcomes of the attachment, is Ruach HaKodesh. Now, <clears throat> these spiritual beings or entities, they know God's will. They know the Rabbani Shalom's will. In other words, what is God's will? That they attach themselves to this particular nefesh or self. Also, and they have the power to execute this attachment. What gives them the knowledge of God's will? What gives these spiritual beings the knowledge of God's will? And the power to execute this attachment, which is what God wants. This is all because of the hashpah, which is invoked by God, the Rabbi Shalom, as a result of the procedure of meditation upon a particular Shem being performed by that person. In other words, the Hashpur, that causative entity, 
the influence or that force which the Rabbanu Shalom emits or sends forth, that contains in it both the will of God, which is that this spiritual being should be attached to that nefesh yoyna, or ne- attachment to the nefesh yoyna, and that hashpo also contains the power source for the attachment capabilities. And this hashpo, of course, is transmitted in a certain sequence to various designated spiritual entities. In other words, the hashpo contains in it the power in other words, that power that is given to the spiritual entity to achieve attachment to the nefesh al-yayna. And the Ashpur also contains in it the will of God. So automatically, a spiritual entity knows the will of God and he now has the power to execute the will of God. That's what the Ashpur does. <coughs> they then respond, these spiritual beings then respond by carrying out the command of God as as implied or as uh, indicated by this hashpur, they respond by carrying out the command of God for attachment to a particular nefesh alyoyna. They have no free will in this matter whatsoever and they must perform the attachment. In other words, it's like a being that automatically is aware of what God wants and has the power to execute this attachment, which is what God wants. And they have no free will. They automatically do it. That's what the hashpah does. That is what that force or cause of entity does. That's how it uh, achieves the Rabbanu Shalom's will. Now, the result of this mechanism of attachment of a spiritual being to the nefesh al yields the experience of Ruach HaKodesh, or divine inspiration, or the Holy Spirit. The person is able to suspend his physical limitations and transcend natural law while he is still in the body and in the physical world. He can suspend the natural law to become the recipient of tremendous knowledge and enlightenment, hasogis, which means enlightenment or knowledge or comprehension. This knowledge and enlightenment can be, can be that which can ordinarily or readily be attained by the human intellect and in the process of reasoning. In other words, as a result of the attachment process, then the nefesh or the self, the individual, becomes the recipient of tremendous amount of knowledge or some kind of enlightenment. Now, the nature of this enlightenment can be something which can be achieved by the ordinary human mind. But there's a difference. In other words, even if it can be achieved by the ordinary human mind, there is a difference if you receive this knowledge and enlightenment via the intellect or via the attachment to a spiritual being. What is this difference? The difference is that the idea itself is clear. It's lucid to that individual. The individual comprehends the idea with immense clarity whereas by the human intellect you understand something but there are degrees of clarity of lucidity that is the first difference the second difference if a person achieves knowledge and enlightenment via Ruach HaKodesh instead of via the intellect is that the person comprehends this knowledge and enlightenment with all the inferences of that idea 
all the implications and the relationship of that idea to the general structure from which it emerges, the general conceptual structure from which this revealed idea emerges automatically without going through the normal reasoning process. In other words, a person understands something and all the implications, significances, consequences and outcomes of that idea automatically, immediately and intuitively with the revelation of the original idea itself. And there's no reasoning that is necessary. In addition, the third major difference between the enlightenment and knowledge received as a result of Ruach HaKodesh and knowledge and enlightenment received through the human intellect is that the person is certain of the truth or the, or the veracity of this bestowed enlightenment and knowledge. And this individual entertains no doubts whatsoever concerning the validity of these ideas and concepts. In other words, many times when you know something, well, how do I really know? As part of the revelation itself, it includes the validity of the idea itself. The person knows 1,000% that it is true. In other words, the idea revealed and bestowed, the inferences and the implications of the revealed idea, and the veracity, the validity of the idea are all inherently present in the act of recipiency itself automatically. Automatically, There is another idea which is different in Ruach HaKodesh. Many times when we think of something, we're not sure, are we dreaming? Do we really, are we really thinking? You know, we, we doubt about the actual phenomena going on. When a person experiences divine <clears throat> inspiration, the person knows that he is not hallucinating, he is not dreaming. He knows that he is experiencing Ruach HaKodesh. So not only is the idea, the inferences and implications and the validity all in the revealed idea, but even the fact that it is revealed truly via spiritual phenomena is also part of that revelation. It's like an entire package deal. Now, these ideas which I had mentioned can be attained through human reason. Now, sometimes a person receives those kinds of ideas also through Ruch HaKodesh. But I had mentioned the differences between the reception. In addition, these bestowed enlightenments and knowledge may also be that which is secret or concealed from man, such as future events or causes of present-day events. A person through Ruach HaKodesh may know why something is going on in that country, why this man got rich, or that man died, or this man is sick, or whatever. And obviously these ideas are not revealed to men. So these ideas also may be revealed to a person who is the recipient of Ruach HaKodesh. They may also be ideas which are not derivable from human reasoning alone as I had mentioned, either future events or events of um, uh, present-day happenings and so on. Now, the phenomenon of knowledge and enlightenment revealed divinely or spiritually as a result of the mechanism of attachment of the nefesh al to various supernal beings 
is the essence of Ruach HaKodesh, or divine inspiration, or translated literally, the Holy Spirit. Now why is this form of knowledge and enlightenment, this recipiency form, why is it called Ruach HaKodesh? Because Ruach HaKodesh means the Holy Spirit. In other words, spirits which are holy and attach themselves to the person and therefore yield this knowledge. So therefore, the term Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, refers to the mechanism itself of divine enlightenment. Now the other term, which is Ruach HaKodesh, which of course means uh, divine inspiration, or enlightenment, that refers to the fact that inspirations or ideas which are divinely revealed. So we see that divine inspiration or enlightenment refers to the consequences of the mechanism and the spiritual phenomena itself. So if we, it's sometimes <clears throat> this phenomena, spiritual phenomena called Ruach HaKodesh, <clears throat> which means literally the Holy Spirit, means the mechanism. That this happens because a Holy Spirit attaches itself to your nefesh And we call it sometimes divine inspiration because the results or the consequences of this mechanism whereby a Holy Spirit attaches itself to the nefesh the consequences of this, of course, is inspiration or ideas which are divinely revealed. But in either case, whether you refer to the mechanism itself or the consequences, the essence of Ruach HaKodesh is knowledge and enlightenment which is of a different quality than knowledge attained through human reason or certainly of a different kind than knowledge uh, than, uh, of knowledges because many knowledges cannot be attained through the human intellect. The mechanism of attachment by a spiritual being to one's nefesh can also yield besides the essential feature or characteristic of Ruach HaKodesh which is knowledge and enlightenment, two other spiritual experiences. This is the phenomena whereby an individual actually perceives spiritual entities and their spiritual transcendental worlds, that is the first, uh, first facet, or uh, first spiritual experiences, experience, and also experience his own binding or attachment to these spiritual entities and to their spiritual transcendental realms or planes. Thus, one's perception of the spiritual and transcendental and one's experiencing and being aware of the actual attachment to the spiritual is two features or characteristics also found in the spiritual phenomena of Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. In other words, besides knowledge and enlightenment which a person can receive, <clears throat> a person can experience also the perception of spiritual entities and the perception of the realms that they reside in. Also, he can receive, he can, uh, receive experience, or rather, he also experiences the actual, uh, the actual attachment or the binding itself to these spiritual beings. He experiences both. The actual attachment to the spiritual being besides the knowledge and enlightenment and also the perception of that spiritual being.
It is important to note that one cannot perceive spiritual beings and spiritual worlds in their actual spiritual form or expression in their, or in their transcendental existential state. But rather, the perception uses the mind and the faculty of the imagination of the mind as the actual vehicle for the revelation of these entities and worlds. In other words, you cannot look at a spiritual being or the realm of spirituality purely from a spiritual standpoint. What happens is, what happens is that the spiritual entity somehow is able to interact with your imagination and you see the spiritual entity via the imaginative faculty itself. Now this will be explained in greater detail by the phenomenon of prophecy and it is an important thing to explain because all spiritual phenomena are perceived via the imagination. You don't look at a spiritual being as he is in his spiritual form. You cannot see an oilam ruchni, a spiritual or transcendental world, as it is in its spiritual form. But somehow they can express themselves. They sort of clothe themselves in the garb of the imagination. They take over your imagination and they use the tools of the imagination, the forms and images of the imagination, to, uh, to uh, reveal themselves to you as a person. In any case, I'll explain it in greater detail in the, in the phenomenon of prophecy. In the experiencing of Ruach HaKodesh, the self has awareness not only of the attachment to supernal beings in spiritual worlds, but also is fully aware that it is in consequence to this attachment, to its attachment to these spiritual beings and worlds, that it receives the divinely bestowed knowledge and enlightenment that it is experiencing. Thus, and this is important, it is aware of both the knowledge and enlightenment, and also the individual is aware of the source of its knowledge, of this knowledge which is the spiritual entity itself. In other words, the individual who is meditating on Hashem and receives Ruach HaKodesh is aware not only of the knowledge which is being divinely revealed, but it is aware of its attachment to the super spiritual being. In other words, it is aware that there is a spiritual being that is a source of this knowledge. And the individual is aware that in consequence to his attachment to that spiritual being, this knowledge is being revealed. So the individual is aware of the knowledge and the source of this knowledge, both things. If one achieves a very high level of Ruch HaKodesh, then it is also possible to actually communicate with the spiritual entity one is attached to. In a particular supernal world that the spiritual entity resides in. And I will give uh, an actual event later on of this idea. Now, to summarize the ideas of Ruch HaKodesh. Through the procedure of meditating on a particular Shem, in other words, the Shem is the object of the meditation, 
through the procedure of meditating on this particular Shem, on this particular object of meditation, one can cause the Rabboni Shlolem to invoke the Hashpor represented by that particular Shem, that name of God, to yield the spiritual phenomena of Ruach HaKodesh or divine enlightenment. The Hashpor causes a spiritual entity to bind itself or attach itself to the nefesh elyoyna of the meditator. This is the mechanism. And this mechanism is responsible for yielding four experiences to the meditator or the recipient of Ruach HaKodesh. In other words, the, the spiritual phenomenon of Ruach HaKodesh has four aspects to it. One, the first one, is that the bestowment of divinely revealed knowledge and enlightenment, this is the first aspect. That the person actually receives, he is a recipient of knowledge which is divinely revealed. And I'd mentioned the different kinds. It's either future events, events which cannot be known by human reason, and even events which can be known by reason. The second thing that a person receives as a result of Ruach HaKodesh, or the second facet of Ruach HaKodesh, is the awareness to the meditator of his attachment to a spiritual entity or to the source of the hasagas, of the uh, uh, enlightenments. <clears throat> and also the awareness that these hasagas or uh, enlightenments are direct consequences of his attachment to the spiritual entity. That's the second thing that happens in Ruach HaKodesh. This is a second facet of the spiritual phenomena of Ruach HaKodesh. In other words, that the individual is aware of the attachment to the spiritual entity. In other words, he is aware of the source of his knowledge and enlightenment. And he is aware that this spiritual being, which is the source, of course, is a source. In other words, that the, the knowledge and enlightenment is a consequence of his attachment to this being. That is the second facet of Ruach HaKodesh. The third facet of Ruach HaKodesh is that there is a perception by this individual or meditator via the faculty of imagination of the mind, of the spiritual entity and the transcendental world of this spiritual entity which is attached to his nefesh yoinot. The fourth facet of Ruach HaKodesh is that it is possible to achieve a communication to the spiritual entity that one is attached to. Now, you should know that these four experiences occur to one who is experiencing full and total Ruach HaKodesh. However, <clears throat> there are many levels of Ruach HaKodesh that one can experience. In fact, the four experiences themselves are different at each level. In other words, they differ in the diminution of the intensity and awareness of the knowledge, of the attachment, the communication, and the perception. And on some levels of Ruch Kodesh, some of the four are totally absent. The lowest form or the lowest level of Ruch Kodesh is where one can be the recipient of knowledge and concepts without being aware of any hashpor or spiritual entity causing it. In other words, all of a sudden you know something, but you are not aware of its source. In this situation, the knowledge is experienced like any other idea which seems to rise spontaneously in the mind. <clears throat> in other words, 
you could be doing something and all of a sudden an idea occurs to you. Now that idea can also be a divinely revealed knowledge or some form of Hasogo enlightenment. But what is lacking is the fact that you are not aware of the idea that this knowledge is coming from the fact that your nefesh elyoyinah is attached to a spiritual being. You are lacking the awareness that you are attached to spiritual beings and it is they that are the vehicle for this knowledge and enlightenment. You do not know the source of the ideas. They just spontaneously arise in your mind. They pop into your mind without knowing that it is generated from spiritual phenomena. True or rather, high, true or rather higher levels of Ruach HaKodesh includes not only the knowledge itself, but also an awareness and experiencing of the spiritual entity itself. In other words, you experience the attachment itself. In other words, you experience the source of the knowledge and enlightenment. The lowest form of Ruach HaKodesh mentioned previously where you experience the idea spontaneously without being aware that, is in con that it is in consequence to attachment to spiritual entities, this lowest form of Ruach HaKodesh is the one that is observed among tzaddikim, holy men of Israel. And it is interesting that this form of Ruach HaKodesh, where you experience the idea without the source, is usually not attained through meditation but it is attained in other ways. And this will be discussed later. Because this other way, whereby you are the recipient of the knowledge without being aware of the source, is possible to achieve today without going through the uh, meditative device. And I'll speak about that more when I get to Ruach HaKodesh Bizman at this particular time. Now, one last idea about Ruach HaKodesh. When a spiritual entity attaches, attaches itself to a nefesh elyoyna, to uh, the self or the soul, in other words, um, when the supernal being is attached to the nefesh elyoyna, and, and I had mentioned that this is the mechanism or the workings which underlie the spiritual phenomenon of Ruch HaKodesh, then the self becomes aware of realities it normally should be privy to, but, it, but is actually removed from its awareness or consciousness. In other words, <clears throat> the concealing veil over its awareness faculty is removed or lifted by the process of attachment to a spiritual entity. And the self or the nefesh then becomes aware of the phenomena and realities that it can know, because in reality it resides in the very transcendental realm that the spiritual entity to which it is attached to also resides. Thus, attachment to a spiritual being causes sort of like a de-repression of knowledge normally repressed and concealed from the conscious awareness of that self or nefesh In other words, when the spiritual being attaches itself, attaches itself to an individual's nefesh then that individual becomes aware of realities of which it really could be aware if it wasn't for the fact that there is a concealing veil 
which is placed over the awareness of this individual and which of course is an obstacle for this individual in perceiving spiritual states to which it normally should be able to perceive. The attachment removes that veil and the self becomes aware of realities in spiritual planes which of course uh, it could um, normally be aware of had it not been for the fact that there is a concealing veil some kind of a cloaking device which does not allow it to perceive these realities and the attachment is what makes the self aware or sort of like de-represses that information that's something about the underlying process or how the mechanism works itself I just want to mention <clears throat> before I leave Ruch Kodesh, and that is that, as I had said, there are many levels of Ruch Kodesh <clears throat> where a person can be aware of the inspiration, the idea, without being aware of the source, without being aware of the uh, instant inferences and implications, without being aware of the validity of what he knows, and not even really achieving that great of a clarity. There are many levels of Ruach HaKodesh, as I had said. But you should know that there are many forms of enlightenment or knowledge, uh, in the sense that a person can receive knowledge and enlightenment in many different ways, not just Ruach HaKodesh. And the other ways I will be discussing when I talk about uh, these, uh, these methods, these uh, other ways of achieving enlightenment and knowledge, uh, when I talk about Ruach HaKodesh in present-day times. There is a second type of attachment to the spiritual <clears throat> which can be brought about by a hashpah which is invoked by the Rabbanishlam, by God, as a result of one meditating upon a particular Shem or particular Shemos, names of God, and of course assuming that the individual has fulfilled certain prerequisite conditions and procedural conditions in addition to the procedure of meditating upon Hashem. There was a second, there is a second type of attachment to the spiritual that yielded a far more intense, profound and greater spiritual phenomena than the spiritual phenomena of Ruch HaKodesh. This attachment is the attachment of the nefesh elyoyna, or the soul, the individual, the self, to the shechina, the divine presence, or the kovid, the glory of God himself. And not merely to spiritual entities, as is what happens in Ruch HaKodesh. In other words, as a result of one meditating upon particular shemas, and having met all necessary conditions, the Rabbani Shlolem is mashpia. He sends forth a hashpah, a causative entity or a force that gets the Shechina to attach itself to the nefesh elyon of that person. Therefore, this second spiritual phenomena, which is uh, a second spiritual phenomena, is also attachment, but it is attachment not to a spiritual entity, as is the case in Ruach HaKodesh, but it is attachment to God Himself, to the Shechina, 
the divine presence or the covid of the Rabbanu Shalom, the divine glory of God. That is the second type of attachment that an individual can have in terms of his relationships, relationship to the spiritual. The person at that time truly feels and experiences the attachment of the Rabbanu Shalom himself. He feels this attachment to God. He experiences it. He knows that it is happening. In addition to this experience, he knows of a certainty that it is God himself that he is bound or attached to and therefore who is being revealed to him. In other words, not only does he experience the attachment phenomena itself, but he knows that it is God himself to whom he is attached and therefore who is being revealed to him. And also another idea which this person experiences, all part of this attachment phenomena, the third experience is that it is God himself, who he knows that it is God himself who is causing this incredibly profound spiritual phenomena of attachment. So you have three ideas here. One is that he experiences the attachment to God. Two is that he knows definitely, without any doubt at all, that it is God himself that he is attached to and who is being revealed to him as a result of this attachment. And the third experience is that he knows that it is God himself who is actually causing this profound spiritual attachment that he is going through, that he is achieving or attaining. This certainty of attachment itself that this person has, the meditator, and that it is God himself to whom he is attached, it's the same kind of knowledge and certainty that one experiences when one touches a physical object. When you touch a physical object, you are certain, you are certainly aware of the touching or the contact itself with the object, as well as knowing exactly what you are touching or contacting, namely the object. So just as in that physical experience, you know that you are touching the object and you know that it is an object that you are touching, it is the same kind of certainty that you have when you experience this attachment. That you know or experience the attachment to God and you know that it is God himself to whom you are attached to. The same kind of validity that you experience in this physical uh, phenomena is what you experience in the uh, spiritual phenomena. <clears throat> now, this phenomena whereby one's nefesh elyonu or self, your spiritual component, is bound or attached to God himself, his shechina, his divine presence, his covet or his glory, even though you are still bound to the physical body and the physical world, this is called prophecy or nevoah. This is what the prophetic state is all about. It is a state in which one is bound, literally, to the presence of God himself, not to another spiritual entity. Thus a Navi, a prophet, 
a Navi was one who had nevu'ah or prophecy, is one who has attained an enormous spiritual experience. Namely, that he experiences God himself. Not a facsimile or derivative or a higher being on a higher plane than you, but that you are attached to the source of all creation itself. <clears throat> now, what you should know, and which is not commonly understood or known, is that the essence of this, or the essence of prophecy, is this attachment to God Himself. And this itself, this attachment, was the desired spiritual phenomena that a Novi, a prophet, spent so much expended effort in achieving. <coughs> Thus, <coughs> in Ruach HaKodesh, the attachment was merely a mechanism <coughs> to achieve various spiritual phenomena. And all these spiritual phenomena are all under the term called Ruach HaKodesh. <coughs> However, in prophecy, the attachment phenomena is not the mechanism, but it is, or rather, the, the, in, 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 in the Vuan prophecy, the attachment to the Shekhinah, or the covet, or the glory of God, was the main objective. This existential state, whereby a Nefesh el is attached to the Shekhinah, or the Divine Presence, is called Devekus, or clinging, or attachment. The Devekis which is achieved in the Vua or prophecy is the greatest, most intense one of all. It is true Devekis. Because a person is truly in attachment or in connection with the Shekhinah itself. In, in a way which is beyond our comprehension. This is true Devekis. And this is really what all prophets sought. This dvikas, that was the end, not the means to an end. In Ruach HaKodesh, the means to the end was the mechanism or the attachment to a spiritual being. And that yielded spiritual phenomena called Ruach HaKodesh. In prophecy or Nevoa, the spiritual desire of the prophet was the attachment itself. It's a very big difference between Ruach HaKodesh and Nevoa. This this Dvekus, which the meditator achieved, or the prophet achieved, this is the most profound spiritual state that can be achieved by a physical living being or individual in Ulam Hazir. There is nothing greater. There is no spiritual state that is greater than the spiritual state of prophecy. Because there is no state that will allow you to attach yourself to the Shekhinah or God Himself. In Ulam Hazer, in this world, this is the greatest experience of all. Uh, in this state, one clearly experiences or comprehends the greatest truth of all. You actually feel that truth, not many know the truth, but via your being, you feel or experience a certain truth. And what is the greatest truth of all? The Yichud of God. Ein oid vadoid. That besides God, there is nothing else. In other words, you experience truly 
how you and you feel and you know therefore how you are a part of God how you emanate from God and therefore he is the source of your very being and also you experience the fact that he is existence per se that he is existence itself that he is the absolute master of all reality since he is existence per se that is what you feel and that obviously uh, is the greatest experience of all in fact one can actually say that the state of Navur is very similar to the state in Ilm Habo but if you think that Navur is close to the state that you will experience in Ilm Habo you're mistaken Navur is infinitely inferior to the state in Ilm Habo which is, is incomprehensible to us if Navur prophecy, which is achieved by the meditative state, is so vastly, enormously, tremendously, uh, incomprehensibly great, and if this is infinitesimal compared to the amount that we will be mazdabic, that we will cling to the Rebbe Rishlam himself in Ilm Habo, then who could understand what Ilm Habo is? We cannot. But in Olam Hazer, there was a way of achieving that state, a me'ain, a sort of like a reflection. And that was through the prophetic state called Nevoah. Now you know why everybody was dying to become a Navi. That is why so many, so many individuals, so many Jews worked on it for years to attain this Dvekus. And this obviously was the final, the culmination of a man's journey in spirituality is Navur prophecy. And the meditative device is the way to achieve Navur. There was no other way. There are exceptions to this idea. In other words, sometimes it was possible for a prophet to receive prophecy without meditation. But that was under unusual circumstances. For instance, at the giving of the Torah, there was no meditation. Yet all Israel was the recipient of Navur. Now you understand what they really experienced. They all became prophets. They all experienced Ein Oymavadoi. And therefore now you know why Moshe Rabbeinu says to Klaisel, You have been shown to know. How have you been shown? In what state? In the state of prophecy. That God is the ultimate master because obviously the implication of knowing who God is is that He is the master of all reality. You have been shown the ultimate truth of all via the prophetic state. And that is really what they received. But they received this knowledge, this experience without any meditative device. The normal way to achieve it is through the procedure called meditation upon certain shamus. That was the normal way that an individual attained. Now, there are many conditions to, in order to be able to receive prophecy, which I will go into later. It is not that easy where you just meditate on a shem and you receive prophecy. It was a very difficult task. But as you can see, it was worth it. Because whoever achieved prophecy achieved the single most greatest experience a person can ever achieve in this physical world. Namely, a true attachment to God Himself.
and, and all that conveys. Now, was this all there was to prophecy? No. In addition to Dvekas, in addition to the state of clinging or attachment that was the sole and main objective of prophets, there were other aspects that one could experience as part of the spiritual phenomenon of prophecy. One was something which was very similar to Ruach HaKodesh. This was knowledge and enlightenment. But you should know, it was far more intense, it was much greater, it was much more profound than was that knowledge and enlightenment which was attained through Ruach HaKodesh. It was much greater. The knowledge and enlightenment that was attained through prophecy was far more intense of a greater magnitude than was uh, attained in Ruach HaKodesh. Even though it was the same idea that they both yielded specifically uh, or specific divinely revealed knowledge and, and ideas, enlightenment. This tremendous knowledge and enlightenment was concerning the Rabbanishon himself and how he relates to all creation and specifically to man himself. In other words, the knowledge that a person received through prophecy was different than the knowledge a person received through Ruch HaKodesh. And the, and the difference lay in the fact of the experience itself. Since a person was attached to God himself, his knowledge was of God. In other words, his knowledge was the knowledge of God. Therefore, his knowledge was the knowledge of reality. Because if you know different aspects of God, you know different aspects of reality via its fundamental cause, which is God, you see. So the prophet knew reality because he knew God. He knew reality in a much greater, much more fundamental way than you do in Ruach HaKodesh. In Ruach HaKodesh, you understood the external reality, the external idea. This was Ruach HaKodesh, the knowledge and enlightenment received in Ruach HaKodesh. But in the Vua, since you were attached to God, you had the knowledge of reality via God Himself, which means that you understood a certain aspect of God, and therefore you immediately understood the counterpart of that knowledge of God in terms of how it expresses itself, how it manifests itself in this world. That was the difference. So obviously, the knowledge attained through Nevoah was incredibly greater than Ruach HaKodesh because the experience was much greater. The attachment to God was the experience in Nevoah, was the attachment to a spiritual being was the experience in Ruach HaKodesh. So the knowledge and enlightenment achieved was much greater. It was via the knowledge of God Himself and via the aspects of Yehudi that was revealed to you, you understood reality differently. Whereas in Ruach HaKodesh, you understood reality merely via the spiritual being that was supposed to have revealed to you. But you did not understand it in the same fundamental, basic way, ultimate cause way that was revealed to you through prophecy. <clears throat> And the knowledge, of course, that you did have through Nevoah was the knowledge of God Himself, 
how he relates to all creation and specifically how he relates to man, how he will relate to man and whatever. It was knowledge of the Anhogus of the Rabbanu Shalom, knowledge of how God interacts with creation. Now prophecy was a spiritual state, therefore, in which normally unattainable and incomprehensible material was divinely revealed and made comprehensible. That's what pro the prophetic state really was. <clears throat> it was the revelation <clears throat> of divine mysteries. Now, besides this kind of knowledge, <clears throat> knowledge of uh, different areas in this world, uh, the prophet could also be the recipient of future events, asidus. This could also be revealed to the Novi in his prophetic state as part of this knowledge and enlightenment. In other words, just as in Ruach HaKadosh a person can know the future, so also in prophecy. But obviously, it was much greater. In prophecy, <clears throat> the knowledge of future events were, were much more exact and detailed and far more clear. Now, just as in Ruach HaKadosh, but even more so, in prophecy, the divinely revealed ideas were clearly comprehended by that person. Remember, if you recall, I said that an individual, when he did receive knowledge and enlightenment in Ruach HaKodesh, the ideas were clear, all inferences and implications were included in the revelation, the validity and the veracity of the information itself was part of the revelation. In other words, he knew this to be the truth and, it was not, and that it was not a dream or an illusion or hallucination. The same idea was true in Ruah, in, in, in Nevoah, but in a far greater way. <clears throat> that this divinely revealed idea or ideas, they were clearly comprehended by the person who was receiving the prophecy, the individual who was in the prophetic state. Also, the person comprehended this knowledge with all the inferences, implications, and relationships that this idea had to the general structure from which it emerged conceptually. And this happened automatically, without going through any reasoning process whatsoever. Also, as was also true by Ruach HaKodesh, but which is of course far more true in prophecy, the truth, the validity, the certainty, or the veracity of this revealed knowledge was included in the revelation itself. In other words, the Novi knew these ideas to be true, definitely, and without any doubt whatsoever. So, besides the attachment that a prophet had toward God, there was also the second aspect of prophecy, which is bestowed enlightenment and knowledge which is different than the knowledge in Ruch HaKodesh because the attachment is to a different being, namely the Shekhinah or God Himself. Besides these two aspects of prophecy, it was also possible that a Novi or prophet was given a revelation for others to hear. In other words, a message for others to hear. And then he would be commanded by God to set out on a mission in order to declare this message or revelation to these individuals or people specifically designated by God to hear this message. This was also possible. And it did happen in certain circumstances. 
However, this facet of prophecy that the prophet would serve as a divine agent to declare this message that God revealed to him is not the essence of prophecy and this is commonly misunderstood. Most prophets were never sent anywhere by God for this purpose. So you may ask, so then what is a prophet? Well, it has nothing to do if the prophet is sent for a, uh, a divine agency or not. Did make a difference. The essence and the main objective of prophecy, the essential idea that was sought by all prophets was not to be sent by God anywhere. It was not even to receive information or enlightenment. <clears throat> but the essential idea was the divicus or attachment that one experienced in the prophetic state. To experience God and His presence on the state or the level of prophecy was all the person really wanted. That's all that mattered. Nothing else mattered. Now with that knowledge, sometimes the Rabbi Hashem also bestowed enlightenment or knowledge. And sometimes additionally, he also sent a person with a message to declare to others. But this was not the essential ideas of prophecy. It is Dvekas that is the essential idea and only Dvekas, that sublime spiritual state that it is, that is an indescribable experience. That is what everybody spent so many years trying to get. Now this experience of prophecy, by the way, will be again commonplace for all Jews in Yemesa Mashiach. So don't worry. It again will be restored to Israel for all Jews to experience in the Messianic era. To summarize, I had gone through two spiritual phenomena, the phenomena called Ruach HaKadosh, or the Holy Spirit, or divine inspiration, and the phenomena of prophecy. And what we see is that the, the phenomena of Ruach HaKadosh was essentially a phenomenon <coughs> whereby an individual's nefesh yoyinu became attached to spiritual beings, to supernal entities in transcendental realms. That was a mechanism, and as a result of this mechanism, various uh, phenomena were achieved or experiences were attained. And these were the different aspects of Ruach Kodesh. One aspect was where the individual <coughs> uh, received, was the recipient of divinely revealed knowledge and enlightenment. A second aspect was where the individual uh, perceived spiritual worlds and the spiritual being that he was attached to. The third idea is that he experienced the attachment itself and he was aware of the source itself. And the fourth idea is at times he actually communicated with the being that he was attached to. I had also mentioned that Ruach HaKadosh had different levels of it. The highest level being where an individual achieves all these aspects of Ruach HaKadosh. The lowest level is where an individual receives a knowledge, an idea which spontaneously arises in his mind. And he is not aware of the fact that this knowledge is spiritually induced.
This is the concept of Ruach Kodesh. And this Ruach Kodesh, this phenomena was achieved through meditation. That was one of the outcomes or consequences of the meditative device. And this is really what Jewish meditation was. The second spiritual phenomena which I had mentioned was the phenomena of prophecy, or And what we had seen is that the prophecy or the prophetic state really was a state in which the individual's nefesh was linked, bounded, or connected to God himself. The shechina, the divine presence, or the glory of God itself. That's what a person was bound to. And it is this idea which is the principle, the aside of Navur itself. That is what everybody desired. <clears throat> to, to be in that proximity with God, whereby one would experience God and come to know the greatest truth of all. The Yichud of the Rabbi To know that God is your source, that He is being itself. And that He is the ultimate master of all. In other words, Yichud Mitzi that He is the only one that is, and Yichud Shlitosoi, that He is the absolute director or controller or master of all reality. <clears throat> this is what a person experienced in prophecy. That was the main objective. Sometimes, as a result of prophecy, the Rabbanu Shalom also bestowed enlightenment and knowledge to the meditator or to the prophet. But this was different in Ruach HaKodesh because it was knowledge that was derived from the fact that you knew God or you were privy to knowledge of who God is. So via the idea of who God is, you understood the manifestation of God as it reflects itself in reality. So you understood reality also. Also, in addition to this aspect, was the third aspect, where, and also, as I mentioned, part of the knowledge, of course, could be of future events. And knowledge, of course, which is not attainable through normal human reasoning, namely why things happen, why things will happen, why things happen to people or events, and so on. And the third aspect of prophecy was that at times the Rabbanishim designated specific prophets to go on a divine mission in order to reveal reveal divinely, divinely um, uh, revealed information to the prophets in order to be given over to other people. But as I had mentioned, most prophets, most prophets were never sent anywhere by the Rabbani Shalom for this purpose. And the essence of prophecy, of course, was the dvekas, or the attachment that an individual could experience in this prophetic state. And as I said, I'm, what I'm going to go into now is a discussion about the actual mechanism of prophecy. How does prophecy work? And I explained previously what the spiritual phenomena of prophecy was, as well as what the uh, spiritual phenomena of Ruach HaKodesh was. Now I want to discuss the actual mechanism of prophecy. What exactly is a prophetic state? How do we define it? During the divine revelation that took place, besides the fact that one gained knowledge and enlightenment as a result of that phenomena, as a result of that divine revelation, 
there was an actual perception of the Shekhinah or the Kovri, the glory of God, in the prophetic state. In other words, besides the feeling and experiencing of the attachment to God Himself, in other words, His Shekhinah or His Kovri, His glory, and this is true Dvekas, true attachment to God, besides this feeling and experiencing of the attachment, and also knowing that it was God He was attached to, and that God was causing this supremely intense state of Dvekas, besides this experience, the Novi actually received a perception of the Shekhinah itself. And that is, uh, of course, uh, an incredible statement. That during the prophetic state, the Novi actually, or the Prophet actually, received a vision, an understanding or perception of God Himself. This perception of the Shekhinah could only be expressed or revealed to the Novi, to the Prophet, via the mental faculty of the imagination. Employing images and visions as the manifest form of the Shekhinah itself. In other words, the imagination, that mental faculty of the human mind, was the vehicle or the instrument through which God revealed His form to uh, the Prophet itself. Thus, every Prophet, with the exception of Moshe Rabbeinu, now, as everything I'm going to say now excludes Moshe Rabbeinu. Thus, every prophet except Moshe would receive his prophecy, which consisted of perceptions of the Shekhinah, <coughs> and would receive that knowledge and enlightenment of the Shekhinah through a dream state. What is a dream state? Because we will see that a prophet can only perceive God in what's called a dream state or a trance state. What is this dream state? <clears throat> when the self loses awareness of sensory and bodily sensations, and the awareness itself is narrowed and focused only upon the images and visions of the me mental faculty of imagination, and accompanied sometimes with this vision or image in the imagination, of course, was thoughts and some feelings regarding these images and visions. In any case, when the self lost awareness of all sensory and bodily sensations, and it focused its awareness on the, uh, on the images of the imagination, and the self that is viewing these mental images is merely in merely or, or actually as a compelled and passive observer we see that the self is experiencing a dream state or a trance state in other words a dream state or a trance state consists of the self losing all touch with its sensations both bodily and um, uh, sensory, and focusing awareness on the images that arise from its imagination. The self was compelled to view or to observe these images as they arose in his imagination. And the self also lost control over the mental faculties. In other words, he could not initiate any thought, image or feeling by itself. He was totally entrapped in viewing 
that which the imagination uh, would, uh, would give it. This state is called a dream state or a trance state. Thus, the Rabbani Shalom employs natural, man's natural ability to enter into a dream state or trance state as a vehicle or instrument for prophecy or divine revelations. In other words, God or the Rabbani Shalom uses the dream state, which I had said is narrowed, focused awareness on the visions and images of the imagination with accompanying thoughts and feelings regarding these images and also that the self is compelled and passive in this experience in other words that the images which the self perceives generated with accompanying thoughts and feelings regarding these images could not be stimulated by the self, rather they were stimulated by outside factors. The Rabbani Shalom utilizes this dream state to transmit a divine revelation. Thus when a person experiences a dream or trance state in which these images are generated and initiated by the Rabbani Shalom himself, in the course of a divine revelation, we call this a prophetic vision. The dream state actually is very similar to a dream state when a person is dreaming. In that case, when a person is dreaming, a person does not lose awareness, he loses consciousness. What happens in a dream state at night when a person is really dreaming is that he is aware very intensely of images that arise from his imagination. He has a focused awareness of these images. Even though to us it looks like the person is doing nothing because he has lost consciousness, but the individual who is sleeping is really aware of the images going on in his mind. But in that case, in a dream state, that person is compelled to watch the images arising from the mind and cannot initiate any images, feelings, or thoughts on its own. It's passive in that state. It's compelled to observe. This is the dream state that happens to all people at night. It is the same dream state or the ability of a person to enter a dream state where he loses all ability to control any sensations or mental activities and he focuses awareness on the images of the mind this dream state is utilized by the Rabbani Shlom <coughs> in order to convey the prophetic uh, revelation now only by the case of Moshe Rabbeinu was a dream or trance state not employed at all as a vehicle for divine revelation. By every other prophet, the Rabbani Shalom used the dream state in order to reveal the message or the perception that, it wanted, that the Rabbani Shalom wanted the prophet to know. Thus, perception of the Shekhinah or the cover, the glory of God, was only through the medium of images generated by the imagination faculty of the mind and these images in turn were viewed only in a dream state or trance state whereby the self lost all awareness of the external world there were no sensory or bodily sensations and the self was compelled to observe these various or these various visions and images in a totally passive posture Thus the actual mechanism of prophecy, which means the divine revelations concerning the Shekhinah or Kovoid, 
was images and visions of the imagination being observed by the prophet in a dream or trance state. This is exactly the vehicle how the Rabbi Nishram revealed what he wanted to reveal to the prophet. The prophet saw God or perceived the Rabbi Nishram through the images of his own mind. They were the vehicle that expressed the form of God. And the prophet, in order to view these images, had to be in a dream or trance state. He could not be awake. He had to be in the dream state, which means that the entire external world was shut out. In other words, he perceived no sensory external stimuli, no bodily sensations. And all mental activities of the mind was also stopped. He couldn't think or feel or imagine based on his own initiative. He could only focus in on images that were coming up in the mind, arising in the mind, as a result of the power of the divine revelation. He was compelled to watch this, and, it was in a, in, and this was in a passive state. That is really the mechanism of prophecy. However, what was the sequence of the mechanism when it was activated to transmit divine revelations? In other words, exactly how did the mechanism work? We know what the mechanism was. It was the images of the person's imagination. And he viewed them when he was in this trance state. But exactly what was the sequence of this mechanism? Well, when the Rabbani Shalom is mashpia, when he causes his Shekhinah, his divine presence, or his glory, to become attached to the Nefesh al which is the self of an individual, when he causes the Shekhinah to become attached to the self of one who meditates on a particular Shem, or divine name of God, the Novi, the prophet, or the recipient of this Hashpah, was greatly overwhelmed in that his entire body and limbs immediately began to tremble and shake. That was the beginning of the prophetic experience. As soon as he became attached to the Shekhinah, the Divine Presence, his body began to shake greatly. Why did it shake? This is because the physical body of the self cannot tolerate the revelation of the spiritual, let alone the revelation of the Shekhinah itself. In other words, physical matter cannot tolerate the intrusion <coughs> of the spiritual realm. And the body reacts by convulsing, by shaking, certainly initially. Actually, when we think about it, the concept of antimatter and matter, which are physical phenomena, actually mirrors this idea of antithesis of physical and spiritual beings. In other words, the mutual abhorrence or repudiation of antithetical beings. Because, as I, we see, there is matter and there is antimatter. Matter annihilates antimatter. Matter and antimatter are mutually exclusive. They cannot exist at the same time in the same place. They annihilate each other. Now, those two ideas or, or phenomena in the physical world resembles or reflects two other phenomena and that is that there is matter physical material and antimatter spiritual material that also cannot exist in the same plane 
They are mutually exclusive. In fact, this world mirrors the spiritual world. The reason why there is matter and antimatter is because there is matter and antimatter in the spiritual sense. There is matter, physicality, and there's antimatter, spirituality, and neither can tolerate each other. That is, anyway, basically why the physical body would shake and be overwhelmed at the presence of the uh, divine. In any case, the prophet senses <coughs> his senses, in order to his sensory and bodily sensations, and his entire mental faculty, his thoughts, images, and feelings, cease to operate or function at all. That's what happened as the Shekhinah became attached to the Nefesh to the Self. The Self lost control over all these properties and remained in a completely passive state in what was to occur. Only its awareness faculty was undisturbed. In other words, it had no mental activities, and it had no sensations, but it still had, the self still maintained its awareness. The self would be compelled to be passive, and also it would be compelled to be intensely focused to the phenomena about to take place in the mind. <coughs> Thus the prophet loses consciousness and enters a state of a dreamlike plane or a trance plane. The prophet is then in readiness for a prophetic vision and the idea of prophetic vision means a divine revelation concerning the Shekhinah, the presence of God, or the Kovoid, the glory of God. That is what a prophetic vision really is. In any case, the prophet, after being denied the functioning of his mental activities and losing, losing the, the uh, sensations, bodily and sensory, and being compelled to focus in on whatever was about to come into his mind, he was now in readiness or sensitized to some kind of an event that was now going to take place in his mind. This induction into a dream state could take place while he was awake. It could happen when he was awake and he would be compelled to enter the dream state. Or even when he was previously sl sleeping, in which case the prophetic vision came through an actual dream. It could be that he was dreaming and all of a sudden the Rabbani Shalom compelled him to focus awareness on a specific uh, subject, namely the divine revelations that were revealed through the images of this person's imagination. In that case, it would become a dream to this individual. The prophetic state would be actually the dream state that this individual had already initiated. But the state is still different than a dream, as we will see. In any case, prophecy could not be experienced except by Moshe Rabbeinu. It couldn't be experienced with the exclusion of Moshe Rabbeinu, I should say, unless the prophet lost consciousness and entered a dream or trance state. During the entire time of the prophetic vision, he had to remain in a trance state until the end of the, pre the uh, prophetic revelation. He was stuck. There was nothing he could do until the Rabbanu Shalom would stop the prophetic state, until the Shekhinah, or covet of the Rabbanu Shalom, would disengage itself from the Nefesh Elyoyinah, from the soul. He was compelled to remain in that dream state. That was part of the 
prophetic state, it was part of the hashpah of the Rabbanu Shalom on this prophet.